Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I am your host, Tamala Shaw, and I am so, so very excited because today I have Candace Platter with me, and this is her second time being on the Codependent Me podcast because the first one was so phenomenal. Our energy is, we just just work so well together, (laughs) and um, we decided that she wanted to come back on, and I was so grateful that she wanted to come back, especially because tomorrow is her anniversary, everyone. So Candace, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tamala. Hi, everyone. Mm-hmm. So on the last show, we did some talking about your book and, you know, a lot of different things. But yeah. when we talked about you coming back today, it was really, truly so we could kind of get into codependence. But... <laughs> We know that tomorrow is your anniversary. So it was just kind of set on me um, right before the show that that's really what I think we should talk about today. Okay. We should, you know, go through your journey of recovery because everyone has this, this thought, you know, different, different people have different thoughts about recovery. Once you're in recovery for a certain amount of time, if it's easier, if it's seamless, do you still have triggers? All of those things. So I would love to kind of get into that. So first, I want to say hello. Thank you so much. And we can start wherever you want to in your recovery. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's great to be back. I really enjoyed our first interview. Um, yes, tomorrow is my 35th year, Ooh. 35 years clean and sober. And I have no idea how that happened. Oh, well, I mean, I do, of course. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, time just went so fast. And one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. And here I am at 35 years. That's crazy. But true. (laughs) That is such such a blessing, you know, because you have so many people. um, And I am one. I am the, you know, everyone knows that I am the, the child of a recovering alcoholic. And yep. she's been on that journey since I was 15. So mm-hmm. that was almost 35 years ago. <laughs> right. You no. Know? So it's, it's one of those situations where I've seen her recover, then fall off, then recover, oh. then fall off, recover and fall off. So I know that there is a struggle that comes with this whole recovery um, journey. So yes. I, I honor you for being able to, um, you know, stay, stay with it. Withstand it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 35 years. Oh my goodness. So, um, let's talk about once you were in recovery, what was, what tools did you start to use to be able to keep it going? You know, I, I, I don't mind telling you that I'm happy to, I think, I'd like to just talk a little bit about what happened before I got into recovery. Perfect. Yeah. 
because I, I, I kind of want people to know that my bottom was kind of low. And I like people to know that because it's like if I can recover, anybody can recover. It's kind of like that. In our first interview, I think I went into this a little bit, so I'll just recap it. But when I was about 23, I suddenly got really sick, kind of like food poisoning sick, like diarrhea and vomiting and that kind of thing. And I really thought it was food poisoning, but it didn't get better. It didn't get better, not for a very long time. And the doctors had no idea what it was. Eventually, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. At the time, that was kind of a new illness, and they didn't know what to do. Um, And a lot of them told me it was all in my head. I should just kind of get it together. Not. Um, And... And so what they did, because they didn't know how to help this young woman who was clearly in distress, is they threw a lot of very addictive medication at me. So they gave me Valium and Codeine and Demerol and Morphine and Oxycontin and all of those kinds of drugs, which helped, you know, it helped the pain. It helped. I also smoked a lot more pot than I used to uh, before then. And that helped a lot as well. And it, it, it helped the pain and the stigma of, of that kind of disease that nobody wants to talk about, you know? Um, and I used those medications for about 15 years. Yeah. And so I was essentially an opioid addict for 15 years without even knowing it. But anybody's body would get addicted to all that stuff, and mine definitely did, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and those medications, those those chemicals are depressants in the human body. And so, you know, you fast forward 15 years of daily use because they just kept giving me more and more and more and more. You know, nobody questioned me about it. It's a problem because you're getting it from your doctor. Right. I never even thought about it. And addiction was not on the radar at that point in time. It just wasn't. I never even considered that I was an addict, you know, whether this was a problem. But then I became so depressed that um, I was suicidal and I started to think about ending my life. And I began to be kind of serious about it because my life had gotten very small. You know, I wasn't happy at all. Um, yeah, I mean, my life was awful Mm -hmm. and, um, I knew that I had enough pills. So I had the, uh, I had the, the means I knew that I could time it in a way that I could take all those pills and nobody would find me in time. So I kind of had the opportunity. I had the means, I had the strategy. I started getting really scared that I might do it. Right. So one day, these feelings were very overwhelming for me. And what I did was I reached out to the crisis center here. I'm in Vancouver, Canada, beautiful place. Um, and I reached out to the crisis center. I want to give them a shout out because whoever it was who talked to me 35 years ago on the telephone saved my life. They were so respectful. They, you know, I don't know if it was a man or a woman. I don't remember. But they they just listened and and and, and supported me. And I reached out for some more help and I was 
advised to sign myself into one of the psych wards at uh, one of our hospitals here. And I did that. I signed myself into a psych ward and I was there for about a month getting the, um, the counseling that I needed, getting people to hear me. I didn't know, again, I didn't know I was an addict. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't, I mean, I looked around this place and thought, what am I doing here? This is not supposed to be, this is not supposed to be my life, you know? Um, but while I was there, I met a couple of people who were also trying to get off alcohol and drugs and they were going to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting across the street every day at noon. So I started going with them and that was the beginning of my recovery. That's when I realized that I was an addict. You know, I heard them sharing and I heard, yeah. So I don't go to them anymore and maybe we'll talk about that, um, why I don't, but, um, yeah, that was the beginning and it was a very rough go. I, in, in my very early recovery with, within the first year, I had to have major abdominal surgery for my Crohn's. When I woke up from that surgery, even though I told them I was an addict, I woke up from that surgery and I was connected to a morphine drip to a machine that I could control with my thumb. And I really wanted to take my first year cake. I wanted my cake. I wanted that. I wanted to do that. And there I was on a morphine drip. So, you know, I had a decision to make because I loved the feeling. I mean, what addict wouldn't love that feeling? So um, I made a decision that I was going to use that for a couple of days. This was very invasive surgery, big scar, you know, hurt. And uh, after two days, I started on extra strength Tylenol. I told them to take that machine away and not to bring it back. I started taking Tylenol and uh, they brought me ice packs. And eventually the pain... The pain left, you know, it got better. I knew it would. I just had to ride it through. And so to get, and I took my first year cake. And, um, you know, to, to answer your question about the tools, I think probably the most important thing I've learned in recovery, and it's so simple. It's so simple. If you're going through hell, Keep going. Keep going. Because otherwise you get stuck in hell and you never get out of hell. And there's a lot of ways to be in hell. But being addicted is definitely one of them. And relapsing is one of them. I never had to relapse because I really didn't want to. I didn't want to ever go back to a psych ward. I remember my bottom 35 years later. I remember that so clearly never ever want to go back there so that was a big incentive to keep me on the path you know yeah so that's good see the so they did not because now i'm thinking about the crohn's part of it Mm -hmm. they did not actually tell you that you had Crohn's or no, you, you knew you had Crohn's. You just didn't know about, they didn't know as much about it then as they do now. So they just oh, yeah. fed you all of these prescriptions. That's right. right. They, you know, they didn't talk about diet. I mean, my Crohn's is much better now. It's an incurable disease that right. they say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a good and I, I believe that because I still have it after all these years. 
Um, but it's much better because I've learned how to take care of myself so I can have a life now. Excellent. So they, um, you know, you, you had all of these pills given to you and that is where the addiction came from. You didn't realize you were addicted until they asked you to go, go to this psych ward. Right. So you were, you were, you were basically depressed first. You were depressed. Yes. Oh my goodness. So yeah. the depression led you to go to the psych ward and then you realize, oh my goodness. Yeah. All of these and things that I'm these feelings that I'm having, it's because of an addiction. It's because of an addiction. And it's also because, you know, my life was not tickety boo be- before that either. I mean, my my family was really dysfunctional and all of that stuff. So um so I think my depression it was situational more than it was chemical, but there'd been a lot of things that had led up to my feeling the way I did. And then putting that poison into my system for as long as I did, just, you know, that was it. But here's the thing, you know, while I was in the psych ward, I was still given these medications. It wasn't until I met these two people, if they hadn't been there, I mean, there've been a, a number of, occurrences that I say saved my life right? right and and meeting these two people was one of those and they took me across the street they kind of took my hand and I sat in my I remember sitting in my first meeting with all these bikers and leather and tattoos and chains and, and motorcycles out front you know and they were effing this and effing that and I was sitting there sobbing through the whole meeting because I was sobbing all the time, you know, and, and they came, they came up to me and they would hug me and they would say, keep coming back. Yes. Right. So I kept coming back for a while, for a long time. I think I was about 10 years clean when I stopped going to 12 step meetings, but yeah, it was amazing. So, so there I am in the psych ward in a medical environment and they're still giving me all the shit to put in my body. Pardon my French. Oh, this, you know, right? and it still happens. There are still doctors who are prescribing this stuff without thinking about what they're unleashing upon people. And like you said, yes. even after you had, when you had your surgery, you told them I that did. you were an addict and yes. they still hooked you. But it was way More. back in, in the eighties. It was like 88, 1988, I think. And again, addiction wasn't on the radar at the, at that time. And right. so she's an addict. So what does that mean to them? Probably nothing at that point. So the thing for pain for this kind of surgery is morphine. Mm. Well, kudos to you for saying, okay, I'll deal with this for a couple of days. Yeah. And then, and within those couple of days, you guys are figuring out, okay, we'll do ice packs. We'll do this. We'll, you know, so yes. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to you. Yep. Good, good yep. stuff. Thank you. <laughs> so you said for 10 years, you were doing the Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. And Alcoholics Anonymous and Codependence Anonymous and, you know, all kinds of anonymous programs yes. that I just needed a lot of help. Yeah. And so I just kept reaching out for help because, you know, there, for many people who are in recovery, mm-hmm. uh, well, I wouldn't say many, but for some people in recovery, there's a difference or, or people who say that they're in recovery, who are going to meetings and doing, 
there's a difference between being sober and clean and being in recovery because people can stay sober and clean and not be working on themselves. Recovery is about the hard work, the hard inner work that it takes, I think, to get to 35 years. Although I do know, I do know a few people who are maybe even further along than I am that may not be doing the inner work that they need to do. I'm not sure how they've stayed that way. I like that. I love yeah. that because I love that. I wish, I wish I had had my mother here because she is, uh, she's actually doing her work, her work right now. And she's 10 years sober. And yeah. I love that. <laughs> yes. I love that you're saying, you know, you can go without having a drink or whatever your vice is, yep. but not be working on self, not yep. be truly clearing what really and truly could be the, the, the base of the reason for the, the, uh, and the addiction. You're absolutely right. It is the base of the addiction. I think actually codependency, I love what the work you do. Codependency is underneath almost every addiction there is, if not every addiction. And the thing about addiction is that it's not, this is going to sound strange, it's not about the addiction. It's not about how much you're drinking, how many pills you're taking, what you're putting in your arm, what you're putting up your nose. It's not about that. It's about what's underneath it. It's about the pain that takes you there and keeps you stuck there. And when we can, it's about the trauma, you know, and when we can look at the trauma and look at the pain and heal that, and it can be healed. I know I'm living proof of that. Mm -hmm. It can be healed. Then we don't need addiction. It's gone. It's not incurable. It's not, we're not powerless over it. It's not a recipe for life. It just isn't. It isn't. And that's why I don't go to 12 step programs anymore because of the, the teachings and the dogma that the stuff that they teach, I don't agree with, but I think mm-hmm. that there are wonderful things about 12 step mm-hmm. programs. There's a sponsorship right, within and the fellowship and all that wonderful stuff. It just isn't a fit for me anymore. Yeah. And, and that's, that's understandable. Totally understandable, but it got, you know, there was purpose in it. It got you where you are. So Absolutely. I totally Everything did. Everything yeah, did. Absolutely. Everything did. I had a picture when I first started, uh, understanding codependency. I had a picture of it. I don't know if it was taken in Alaska. I have no idea, <laughs> but it meant so much to me because it was a picture of an iceberg. So you iceberg. had, uh, you had the water. It was an iceberg and you could see things like it was really dark and under the water, right? And so I just looked at it one day and I was like, oh, that's my recovery. A lot of people feel as though, you know, in order to recover, you need like in order to survive in recovery, you have to climb to the top of the iceberg. When in all actuality, you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> that's ex- oh, you're you so get right. Down and find out the base. What is going down, down here and dirty. in the dark area? Down yes. And then, and then when you get down and dirty and you start to really understand, you start to really get it from here and it trickles down. It trickles down to your heart. It trickles down. That's when you get risen up to the top of the iceberg. You don't have to climb the iceberg. You don't have to climb it. You will float once you clear all of this. Pretty much. It becomes so light. 
Ah, yep. Yep. my good. Yes, that is what yep. it it helped me. Like one day I just looked at it and I was just like, oh, I think I get it. And so, yep. you know, I, I always have conversations <laughs> with my mom because, you know, she's she's the she's my foundation when it comes to mm. therapy and, and, and recovery and that, you know. So I had that conversation with her and she was like, baby, you're right. You've got to clean up what's under there before you can do anything at the surface and above. <laughs> yes. But but here's the thing to remember for anybody out there who's listening and wanting to um, rise to the top of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Icebergs are slippery. So we we go up to the top of the iceberg and we sometimes have these amazing feelings of joy and appreciation and ah, oh, it's wonderful. And we need to really love those times because guess what? You're going to slide back down. Mm-hmm. And when you slide back down, it's just part of life. It doesn't mean you have to relapse. You just slide back down and you, and you look underneath again. You go, Oh, okay. That's still there. It's like the plaintive cry of somebody in recovery is I thought I had already worked through this, you know, but then you find out that there's a deeper layer, which is a good thing. Right. And you clean that up and you get some help with that and you, and you, and you, you know, and then you go back up again. And it's like, yes. ah, I love this. I love being at the top of the iceberg. And then you slide back down and it's just part of life. And that is why it's recovering. Yes. You, know, you are constantly yes. recovering. Constant. Well, hopefully. Yes. I mean, For the rest of your lifelong, life. It's a lifelong journey. And I don't think anybody's ever recovered. Yes. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. I like to say that I'm in recovery rather than Absolutely. saying that I'm recovering or recovered. Mm-hmm. But I remember being in meetings and people would say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm recovered or I'm a recovered addict. And I, I knew, I, I mean, I didn't know much at that time, but I knew there was something wrong with that picture. That just didn't feel right. You right. actually recover forever for right. real. And, yeah. you know, I feel like there are parts of my life that I've recovered from the trauma of. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I don't slide back down the iceberg to those pits anymore. Not very often anyway. Um, but. There's other things, other right. things come up, other triggers. Absolutely. Come up. Mm-hmm. Things that could be from your childhood, you know, yeah, it could be someone, are. right? Yeah. yeah. It could be someone new that you met that reminds you of something. That's and then right. you have to figure that out. You know, it's, it's it, in recovery. Well, let, me, let me, let me just change what you said. Cause you said we have to figure that out. I, I, some of my clients sometimes call me the language police and I should make a badge the way, we, the way we use language is so important. She said, we have to figure that out. No, we don't have to, but we get to, we get That's to true. figure it out. We get to figure it out. We get yes. to understand it. We get to know ourselves. We get to be aware. Yes. You know? That's a and, blessing. We, and, we, and we learn how to respect ourselves. Like you cannot be, I don't think, in active addiction and be self-respectful at the same time. I don't think those two can can go together in the same world right and self-respect to me is the most important thing we either have or don't have that's good and and you can't go buy it somewhere you can't go to the 7-eleven say i'll have some self-respect please you know it's an inside job and it's 
and and it's different from self esteem. Self esteem is when somebody says, "Oh, you're so wonderful," and you know, "I love your hair," and it comes from the yeah. outside in, right? Comes right. From, but self respect comes from the inside out, mm-hmm. and it takes work yes. to develop self respect, and it's so worth it. And if yes. you're codependent and you're living codependently with any relationship that you might have, you're not respecting yourself because you're allowing yourself to be treated badly. And you don't need to do that. You just don't need to allow yourself to be in that position. If, you know, sometimes women stay in relationships too long. They've got children. They've got situations. I understand. I really do. I hope that you'll keep working on that and find a solution so that you're not in a position where you're not being treated well. That's just not okay. okay. For sure. For yeah. sure. I love that. Um, and, you know, I find that, and maybe you you can tell me, that some of the same tools that you can use being a codependent are some of the tools that you've used in your recovery. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what they would exactly be um i just learned so many things along the way but um yeah i do you I, do any journaling or yeah oh yeah those kind of tools yeah definitely mm-hmm. journaling man i've got you know i've still got some of my old journals and every once in a while i open <laughs> i open it and start to read one of them and i think who is she right That's but i'm glad i kept them Yes. That is what's so beautiful because we do, we manifest into these different people, but you know, because you are who you are today, you forget who you were 10 years ago. So to go back and read that, it's just like, oh my goodness. It's, it's important. It's important Mm -hmm. to be able to take stock of where we were and where we are now. And I was saying to a client the other day that it's, it's kind of like having a baby or a puppy or, or something when you're with them, 24 seven, you don't notice that they're growing. And then somebody comes over and says, wow, she's grown so much. And you, yeah. and you think, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess I they guess have, so. you know? Um, and it's the same thing with recovery. Like you don't really notice your own recovery until either somebody else points it out or something happens. And you think to yourself, I handled that well. Yes. And you pat yourself on the back. I yes. handled that well. I wouldn't have handled that as well a year ago. Right? It's yes. such a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. But with codependency, with codependency, you know, um, Dr. Phil, and most people know Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, um, I'm not a great fan of Dr. Phil's because I, I, I think he's kind of arrogant with the people that he deals with, but he says some good things, you know, and one of them, is he said, we teach other people how to treat us. And we really do. And if we allow other people to treat us badly, that's kind of on us. Yeah. We're not requiring people to do certain things. I had to tell a friend that. Yeah. Something happened with her daughter. And I told her, I said, you haven't required her to do anything different. And that's right. what we have to understand. We need to raise the bar that's right. for ourselves, for our children, for need to teach our children well. But you know, if, if we're if we're allowing mistreatment, 
then we're basically saying to that person, it's okay to disrespect me. It's okay to mistreat me because you're not going to do anything about it. And that's, that's a self-respect piece. So we we go back to that work of, of doing what it takes to, uh, another thing is that people talk a lot about self-love. It's everywhere, right? Gotta love yourself. Self-love. I think we're missing a step. I think we have, I think we have to go to self-like first. I think we have to like ourselves first. At least try to like, find some things to like about ourselves and be on that path for a while. And then you kind of go up to the top of the iceberg again and you feel some self-love. But to ask somebody who doesn't respect themselves, never learned how, never learned that it was important, to all of a sudden start to love themselves, it's like asking them to jump over a house or something. Right. So, okay. So, okay, let's, let's get into that. I like it. So <laughs> okay. self-like, um, do you think that I've, I've learned recently, not that I didn't know this, but it's just really been big in my life recently, that sometimes words that we heard as a child, um, of course, we, we we can sometimes bring them into our adulthood, but we don't understand how important it is to change our language. Um, mm-hmm. One of the our biggest self-talk, right? That self-talk. One yeah. thing that um, my grandmother used to say, and she didn't mean any harm, but she didn't she didn't also know that how how powerful how powerful her words were. She right. would say. You just ought to be ashamed of yourself, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So there's that ashamed, right? So we don't realize, you know, so, and we used to laugh about it, you know, me and my mom was like, like, like mama used to say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And it's just like, that's just that self-talk and it, it will lead. I mean, nobody feels good when they hear that. No. You know? No. Shame is such a, uh, such, such a, a horrible ho- thing. Mm, yeah. And, and it really, it, it, you know, it kind of doesn't have its roots in anything. Like it's, we don't need to feel ashamed about ourselves. If, right. if we've been doing some stuff wrong or if we've been doing things that we wish we hadn't been doing, most of the time for most people, there's a difference between an excuse and a reason. There's a difference. And for most people, there are reasons for why they've been behaving the way they have. And again, that's the stuff that's under the iceberg. So if we can go down there and find out those reasons, then we at least have a choice of whether we want to continue doing that or stop doing that, replace mm-hmm. it with something else. Right. I like that. Yeah. So self-like. So I think that, I mean, if you'd like to, (laughs) let's say there's some things that people really don't, they haven't really identified. They don't really recognize is what I'll say. That is certain things about themselves that they don't like. Like how, how can they identify things that they really need to like about themselves? Yeah. And, 
And that's a process and it's different for everybody, but it's a process. And it's one of those things about being in recovery. I can give you an example from my life, if you like. And I don't remember if I said this in the last interview, <clears throat> but my, um, the very narcissistic mother, classically narcissistic. She needed to be adored. She needed to be right. There was hell to pay. It, it didn't go along with that. It was very difficult. Um, and I think that my body just kind of eventually imploded upon itself. And that was part of what Crohn's, why the Crohn's happened, which led to the addiction, which led to me being who I am today. And I like me today, you know, but when I was growing up, my mother would tell me very, very frequently uh, with a lot of confidence. She would say, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Nobody cares how you think or feel about anything. Don't even tell me about it. I don't care. So I grew up believing that nobody wanted to hear anything that I had to say. And I flew under the radar for a really long time in my life very shy, didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be a burden to anyone because they didn't really want to hear what I had to say anyway. And then, um, then, I'm just trying to get my book out here. I was going to show people Do my book. Yeah, I should have been prepared. Sorry, everyone. We're just fine. <laughs> but, you know, afterwards, after all that, I, I became, you know, with my addiction, I decided to go into the addiction field and work in, in this field give back what I had gotten. Um, and I started specializing in working with the families of people who, like yourself, people like you, who um, <clears throat> had somebody in their lives who was an addict. And I ended up writing a book. And that book, yeah. It kind of it it wrote itself, you know, but I ended up writing a book. And the book ended up winning awards and this is the book people many people have heard about it now loving an addict loving yourself it's the top 10 survival tips for loving someone with an addiction so it's yes. for people it's for the family it's for the loved ones of people with addiction don't give it to anybody with an addiction because they hate this book but so because I'm talking about boundaries and consequences and addicts all the things that they that. try to run over yeah, yeah that's right um but but I wrote a book, it won awards, it surprised the hell out of me, and I started getting phone calls and emails for interviews like this one. And I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was so nervous before every single one of those. Things. I thought I was going to throw up before every <laughs> single one for a long time. Yeah, because you want to hear what I have to say? I can't tell you what I think. Nobody wants doesn't to hear matter. what I think. From what it I heard. Matter. That's exactly right. No. And so I had to do some work on that. One of the things I found out was that John Lennon of the Beatles, he, no matter who he was performing with, I always loved John Lennon, imperfect, wonderful human being. Um, he would have a bucket at either side of the stage in the wings just in case he might throw up. And I thought, okay, I'm in good company. I'm in great company. So that helped. But, you know, I started to understand on my journey, it took a while for me to understand that my mother was wrong about me. What she thought of me wasn't about me. It was about her. 
And yes. that's probably the most important thing I've learned in my recovery is that whatever anybody else thinks of me isn't really about me. And today, at 35 years, thankfully, I know who I am. And if you have a different opinion of my opinion of me, that's up to you. Uh, it doesn't usually bother me now. Um, but that's taken a while. But please, if you've got somebody mistreating you or, you know, giving you a hard time, it's not about you. And if there's anything that you're doing to maintain that or have somebody treat you like that, that is what is about you. And so that's the work for you to do to get out of that. But what they think of you and how they're treating you is about them, not about you. I love that. Ah, how freeing yeah. is that? How freeing is understanding that when a person is mean, it has nothing to do with you. It nothing. really doesn't. Because there are so many other ways that that person could relate to you if they chose to. It's all choice. It's all about choice. And and if a person is bullying you, that's about their need to bully. I agree. Just don't let them get away with it. Get some help. Reach that's out. Right. Get some help so that you don't have to do that anymore. Yes. But it's but if they have if they're doing it to you, that's because they feel insecure. Their need to do that. Ew. Like I know. And they've ew. got things under their iceberg that they yeah. need to work on. And they're trying to climb up their iceberg and they keep flipping down. Yeah. Without they're trying to do it without the work. And hurt people, that's hurt right. people. You know hurt people, hurt, hurt people, people, hurt people, but heal people, yes. heal people. Yes. That you know, that they have the capability to do that. So I am so yes. grateful. I mean, when yep. you when you are going through this healing and you have this understanding and you're getting light. Like it feels good. You want to share it, mm. you know, you want to, sh- you, I mean, because there's yes. a feeling on the inside that's just so beautiful and yeah. you're just like, I want everyone to feel like this. Yeah. You know, yeah. We want to so teach people. Hard. It's okay. You can have a better Absolutely. life. You can have a life you love. Yeah. You can wake up and love yourself. <laughs> you can wake up and not worry about it. Like yourself. You can like, like yourself, yourself first. Yeah. Yes. You know, Sometimes liking yourself, it's kind of as simple as saying to yourself, oh, I got out of bed today. Kudos to you. I mean, kudos to me, right? Yep. Kudos to me. And anything you can pat yourself on the back for, do it. Just turn your, you know, put your arm out, turn your hand over and pat yourself on the back for anything you can and learn how to like yourself, learn how to appreciate yourself. Because, you know, the alternative is a lot worse. And many people have, myself included, lived in that for a long time of just not liking themselves at all. Never thinking it would ever get any better. It does. It can. It can. But it takes work. And you're right because we we can be so hard on ourselves. And that's anytime it's easier to be hard on yourself then easier to be good to yourself, that's when you know you have work to do. If it's easier for you to say, I'm not pretty today, or I feel, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel happy or, you know. Or I'm not deserving of worthy people in my life. Yeah, I don't feel worthy. You have to be able to know 
that you are worthy yeah. of goodness. Yeah, that if reminds me of that Saturday not. night, that Saturday night live skit. Of, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> we are. We are all worthy. We are all are. worthy. But depending on what we grew up with and what we were told, and society teaches us the same icky stuff and we learn it at school and we learn it at work and we make a mistake and we're shamed for it. I mean, mistakes are wonderful things. Mistakes, I hate when I make a mistake. Yeah, I do. I'm like everybody else. But I also know that if I learn from that mistake, it's got something for me. And if I learn from that mistake, I probably, hopefully, won't have to make the same one again. That's right. That's right. You know, So mistakes can be kind of a cool thing if we don't shame ourselves for them. Right. And that's what, that's what I used to tell my kids. It's okay to make a mistake if you learn from it. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. But then then your kids go out, but then your kids go out in the world and they make a mistake and they're slimed for it. And so they, they think, well, mom said it's okay to make mistakes, but everybody else is saying it isn't okay to make mistakes. So parenting can be a tricky thing. (laughs) It is a tricky thing. (laughs) For sure. it depends on what you want to believe. What do you choose to believe? Like, absolutely. I'm so in favor of choice. Um, yes. That's part of why I'm not in 12-step programs as well today, because, you know, I, I don't think that anybody chooses to become an addict of any kind. I don't think anybody chooses it. I think most people who become addicted think they'll never become addicted. It's the other guy that's going to get addicted. But once we're in that, once we're in active addiction, it's always a choice about whether we stay there or whether we come into some kind of recovery. And what the 12 step programs are teaching is that this is something, this is the powerless over it. It's a disease that you have. It's always going to be there. No, no, I don't think so. I understand. I'm here. I'm here with you. Yeah. So. I, I think a lot more people it. are now, which is great. <laughs> um, you have wonderful TEDx talks that are on YouTube, right? Yep. So um, where can they get the book? Let's talk about that first. The book, you can get uh, the ebook on my website, I believe, but it's available at Amazon in every country that has Amazon. I can't believe there are some countries that still don't, but um, every country uh, that has it. So that's probably the easiest place. And it's also in, uh, audio book and I've, I'm the one reading it. Awesome. So, so it's there. There's a workbook that goes along with it. If you'd like to, you know, work through those questions, I think that would be really helpful for a lot of people. A lot of it is about codependency. Yes. A lot of it, you know, and again, it's for the loved ones of people who are dealing with or worrying about or you know yeah somebody else's addiction and if anybody is interested in any loved ones are interested in maybe working with my team with me um if you go onto my website and will you have that on your i'll put it in the show notes but if you want to go ahead and and just say what it is now that way if they're okay. listening or want to jot it down, they can. But it's okay. always, it'll definitely be in the show notes as well. Okay, great. So uh, Candace Platter, C-A-N-D-A-C-E-P-L-A-T-T-O-R. Um, I think Google will probably change that for you if you misspell it. But um, 
my website is called Love with Boundaries, it's all one word, lovewithboundaries.com, because when we love an addict, if we're not loving with boundaries, we're not loving them. That's it's right. not a loving act to just, because basically what we're doing is helping them stay in addiction. We're not helping them get through hell. We're letting them stay stuck in hell. Um, so it's lovewithboundaries.com. And we give uh, a free 30-minute, no strings attached at all, Zoom consultation, free. Uh, all you have to do is fill out a short questionnaire that's on the website. And I don't know if you have, I think you have the, the link for that. Uh, Tamla, but um, And we work with people, we work exclusively on Zoom, and we work with families all over the world as long as you speak english because we don't have yes. anybody that doesn't speak english right now not yet i hope so i hope so so but you can be anywhere in the world and and we can work with you so if you're having trouble um just know there's so much help out there for addicts there's not so much help out there for you and there's not a lot of good skilled help with people who know what they're doing so if you need help, please feel free to get in touch with us. That is Love with boundaries. Phenomenal. Love with boundaries. Yeah. Which is definitely needed. I mean, I know this has been so wonderful. I want to tell you in advance, happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody asked me um, the other day how I was going to celebrate. Yeah, what are you going to do to celebrate? I said, oh, I think I'll go to the bar and knock a few back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell everybody right now that is not what I'll be doing tomorrow. Yeah. I am pretty sure <laughs> you are not. I can see you uh, continuing to do big things. Um, I will you. say, as I did the last time, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to ask you back again. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to. Yeah. This is always yeah. so wonderful. And um, I'm just very pleased. Uh, I feel good in the heart after we talk. So yeah. I thank you for being on the show again. Can and, you tell people um, what your what your t-shirt says? My t-shirt says you matter. You <laughs> matter. You yes. matter. And we have yes. to know it. That's a part of liking ourselves. Yes. Getting yes. to that's, love ourselves. That's you have the work. to know. I matter. Yes. And it has a period at the end. There's nothing else to say. You matter. Yep. It's yeah. a full sentence. Just full like sentence. the word no. Right? That's right. Like the word no. Yeah. Full <laughs> sentence. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I want to tell the audience, as I do all the time, yet again, you matter and your story matters. And thank you so much for uh, being on or listening to the Codependent Me podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time, so thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me, and check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.